gentlemen, this is Matt Chat. I'm David Miracatani. Today it is my true honor and pleasure to be joined by Mr. Gene Mills from New York. Gene, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Well, I I was doing some research to get ready for this and some of the some of the things I've looked up and found are just incredible. So I just want to start talking to you about some of these things. First of all, it says that your your overall record, and I'm guessing this is including, you know, every match you've ever wrestled, is 1,356 wins, 46 losses, one tie, and 886 falls. I guess my first question is, is those numbers correct? As far as I know, I kept, um, I always kept that notebook of, Everything I did throughout throughout the years, ever since my freshman year when I started, and that's everything. That's going up, you know, two, three, four weeks classes to compete. And I don't know. I just love competing. Yeah. How did you get started in wrestling? Well, I in high school, I went out for the – I was going to go out for the basketball team. <laughs> and the coach sent me down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> the basketball coach did? Yeah, so <laughs> I went down the hallway and they were rolling. They were taking up chairs up in this uh, assembly room or something. And I was like, "What the hell are they doing?" I looked around and I walked back to the gym. I said, "I don't see another gym down there." And they're like, uh, "They should be." That's right now. I said, "Oh no, I'm going out for basketball." He said, "He looked at me. He started chuckling. He's like, no, you're not.'" <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I would go down to that wrestling room and I'd be like, okay, and I'd, I'd make sure that I just envisioned everybody I wrestled was that basketball coach and just try to beat the crap out of them. <laughs> that is awesome. So, so you didn't wrestle in Little League or anything like that. You're, you first became acquainted with wrestling as a high school freshman, huh? Well, they had it in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. They had two weeks of wrestling class. Okay. But, but I went to, uh, a different high school, uh, not in my town, and they had a. I, I didn't realize they really had a team because the first time year they ever had a team was the year before I started. Okay. So, so that's I went to deep. and but, it says here that you're you were a state champion in New Jersey, and for people that don't know, New Jersey has one class. So correct. And and now I think it's like 300 and something schools that wrestle. Is it still was it still the same back then, or about about the same number? Um, if anything, it was probably more. Yeah, that's probably true. So you yeah. went from thinking you were going out for basketball to becoming a state champion in a one-class state and a high school national champion in in four years. You know, who were some of the people that that helped you achieve that success at that stage of your life? Well, in high school, I had three different high school coaches that technically um, were not very good, but they were phenomenal motivators. They were very good with conditioning and motivating. And those two things from all three of my high school coaches were awesome. And then as far as technique, my father would wrestle with me and beat the crap out of me. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And he he would always wrestle with me on the mat because he said he wrestled in high school. I never really said much about it until I got into high school. But bottom line is, once I started in high school, you know, he finally told me his senior year he was 28-1. He was 28-0, 28-10s, and lost in the semifinals of the state. Didn't get to go for third. And I got the OW for beating him 3-2. to two and. You know, from that point on, I realized, wow, he really wrestled. And then I looked it up in the record books, and it said SS, like semifinals. Because back then, they they didn't have wrestleback. Right. You just automatically got third if you lost in the semis. Yeah. Yeah, and then I I had some uh, I had some area guys that had this guy John Luke, state champ from Wayne Hills, who basically Every Tuesday, I'd go over to his house, and he would teach me and wrestle with me. 
I would try to find places. Every night of the week, we had a place to go. So let's say Monday night was, I don't know, this one guy named Tess Burklow, his, his father had wrestling match. We would go to his house on Mondays. Tuesdays, we'd go to Garfield Boys Club. And Wednesdays, people would come to our, my house and we'd wrestle on carpets back then before we had a section of mat. Thursday, we'd go somewhere else. And every Saturday, we were at tournaments. And every Friday night, we had, like, I don't know, five kids sleep over at our house, and my dad would take us to tournaments the next day. Wow. And then after the tournament, they would stay overnight on Saturday. We'd wrestle all night Saturday night, <laughs> get up Sunday morning, eat breakfast, wrestle for a while, and, you know, it was just one thing after another. Yeah, and then do the same thing over the next week, yeah. So. Yeah. One of the one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and I I think you've kind of shed a little light on it, is, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a few years younger than you, but I'm, you know, I wrestled in high school in the '80s, and back then the the style of wrestling was, you know, a lot more mat wrestling. You know, it, it, you know, obviously it's it's transitioned or evolved into a lot more taking guys down and letting them go, but you know, obviously one one of the things you're known for is your ability to pin people. And it sounds like you got that desire and probably some of that technique from your father. You know, where, how did this, 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 the focus on pinning people get instilled in you? Well, he would always tell me, you know what? Some of these guys are a lot stronger than you. They're a lot faster than you. And you might not be able to beat them. So you might have to pin them. So I would always work on that because, you know, I believed them. And it was true. There were so many guys that were bigger, faster, stronger, you know, and I would have to wear them out and get them into the third period. And he was a big believer. If you're smashing on somebody's neck and you're making them, you're riding all your weight on their neck for four minutes, sooner or later, they're just going to say, screw this and just go over. And I felt like there a lot of guys did. They just like said, screw it. They didn't want to be there no more. Yeah, I mean, did nope. you, do you feel like literally that that in a lot of those matches that there were guys that were tough, 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 and then they just got to a breaking point where they relaxed for even a second, and that's when you were able to get those pins? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, like if I could get on top first period and I wear out their neck a little bit, you know, think and, and shoulders, think about this. How many kids do mountain climbs? And after 30 seconds, they're looking up to see if their coaches are looking. And they're lifting up an arm like, oh, oh you know, this is too hard. Yeah. Imagine doing mountain climbs with somebody on top of you, smashing your head down and putting twice or three times the amount of weight on your neck and shoulders. I mean, you think kids are wusses and want to quit after 30 seconds. <laughs> you, know, you do that for four minutes with somebody on you, and they're going to say, screw this. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, I, and I, I mean, I, I grew up knowing who you were and, 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 you know, you were one of the guys I looked up to. Your, your style of wrestling, like specifically like the Half Nelson series and some of those other things. How did, how did you develop those series? Cause it wasn't, it doesn't seem like from watching it, you know, you came from a tree where somebody did that before you and better than you. It seems like something you sort of, you know, were the next step in the evolution of that? Well, I was kind of in a tough situation my freshman year. I didn't really know much. I was a fat little 88-pound butterball, rough on 98 varsity. And these guys would pretty much basically beat me up first period. And I was always told that when you get on top, you got to break the guy down so you can turn them. And I couldn't break guys down. So I just started slapping a half on it, running running it right over the top. And I got yelled at over and over again, telling me I got lucky. And I'm like, well, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't break the guy down. That's the only way I could turn him. My coaches would ream me out. Your, and, co uh, your coaches were the ones yelling at you, saying that you were getting lucky. Yeah. And they'd say, you can't do that. You need to break your opponent down or they can reverse you and put you on your back. And I'm like, well, I had no choice. I was losing seven to two. What was I going to do? You know? And so, I mean, I literally got manhandled the first period, it seemed like, by everybody. 
And I had no choice. So if I had my choice, I'd take top and I'd just try to wear out their necks. And then sooner or later, a lot of these guys just kind of rolled over for me. And I was like, yeah, I, I did this. <laughs> no? well, that's awesome. And you said you kept track of all these numbers. I mean, and I, I know this is sort of an impossible question to answer, but when you think of all the pins you got in high school, maybe the first two years when you were smaller and, you know, I don't know how much you weighed your second year and what weight class you wrestled, but how many of those pins did you get when, you know, you were tied or maybe even losing the match on points? Mm, I would say my my first year, probably almost half of them. <laughs> wow, that's okay. But. And then obviously you got better, you were winning, and then when you would pin guys. So, but, I mean, yeah. it had to give you a lot of confidence that no matter what the score was, you were never out of the match with what you could do on top. Correct. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and then an, an example, even when I was on the World Cup team, you know, the world team, stuff like that, um, I remember telling that I, I, I went up two weight classes one year for World Cup. And they had that Victor Alexia, two-time Olympic champ. And I said, my goal was if I could be within 10 points after a minute and a half, I I didn't see how I could lose. But as long as I was within 10 after a minute and a half, there was still four and a half minutes to go. I want, to, I want to repeat this so I understand this right. You thought if after a minute and a half you were losing 10 to nothing, 12 to 2 or whatever, you were going to win. Yeah, because I I don't know. I, I When they did that Olympic study in 1980, my, of all 120 athletes, the top six guys in each weight class, of all 20 weight classes in freestyle and Greco, 10 each, you know, 10 freestyles and Greco, my thing came back saying I was the weakest person bound for pound. Oh, uh, really? Oh, my yeah. God. Okay. But, but it said I had by far the highest oxygen capacity. And I know when they did that study at Brockport, um, like of the 120 athletes, my uh, oxygen capacity, I did three over three times more than the second best guy. And I showed no signs of fatigue. And they just stopped the test. They're like, this guy's a freak. I was so, going to literally say they probably thought you were a freak. Yeah. I mean, three, yeah. three, t- you're talking about like your VO2 and all those things. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, and my argument to them was, you know what? I might be the weakest person pound for pound, but I don't have to supply blood and oxygen to my muscles because they don't have any. So I'm not going to get tired. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thought I had a point. <laughs> oh I'm sorry. That's so. It's actually really logical, but it's just such a funny way to say it. I know. So I have no muscles, so I can't get tired. I mean, you see guys that are heavily, heavily muscled in in you know MMA, UFC, things like that, and even wrestling, where you go, this guy will get tired. I mean. Clearly, the the polar opposite of that is true, but you just never hear that person <laughs> use that as an argument. So, very very funny. So, um, you know, you, you get done with high school, and I'm sure you have choices on where you want to go to school. How did how did you end up at Syracuse? Well, I literally took my national letter of intent with the scholarship offers, put them all on the living room table. And I said, Ellen, my parents, and I said, listen, I know you've never wanted anything but the best for me. Um, this is really hard for me. Uh, I'm going to go upstairs. If you guys want to pick out a college, that's where I'll go. And I took, like, a couple of them, and I just uh, ripped them up, and I said, it's not going to be one of these two. I wanted to go to Monk. Larry Shackatano was the Wait, wait, say it again. I, the phone cut out. You wanted to go to where? I wanted to go to Montclair State. Montclair State, okay. It was a D3 school, but um, Larry Sacateno back then was, I don't know, he was like coach of the year, and they were national champs, and they wrestled the Division One schedule. And uh, he took, he left, and I didn't hear from him for like three weeks because he was down at LSU. And then, so I 
obviously wasn't going to go there because, you know, there was no scholarship involved with that one anyway. Right. But, um, and so I, my parents said that, uh, we think Syracuse is the best education. So that's where they wanted me to go. Who are the other schools that were in, that were on the, the, the dining room table that night? Um, well, Rutgers back then, but, um, Rutgers is, you know, now is, you know, a thousand times better than what sure. they were back then. Um, Wilkes College was division, division one. Um, Oh, wow. Um, well, I can't even remember, but there were. It, it's interesting were, to me. You really didn't, like most kids, you know, we, you know, we took our five visits and, you know, we, we really, really struggle with the decision. I mean, you really didn't care. Like you just thought, okay, I'll be good at any of these places. Is that, was that the thought process? Yeah. And when I went to, uh, I remember when I went to, oh, Clarion. Clarion offered me a work-study job because they told me I was too small. What, so, weight, what weight were you your senior year in high school, Gene? 108. And, and the college weights when you wrestled, the lowest one was 118 for people that don't don't know. So yeah. they just thought, okay, well, you're, you're never going to grow into a, a one, you know, to a college 18-pounder. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess that was their thought process, right? Yeah, and like my junior year in high school, I cut from 132 to 108. And in my senior year, my mother had me on this, I don't know, was it low-carb diet or something. And literally, I ate 10 times a day. And my I weighed in. I was weighing 106 most of the year. And then when it came time for the States, I weighed 103. And you got a two-pound weight allowance for the States, so it was 103. 101 was 103. I could have actually wrestled that. I see. My high school was 101. So. Well, so when I went on my recruiting trip, I weighed 110, and they thought I was too small. Yeah, well, you can see why they would think that, right? Yeah, in a way. But after two weeks of college or three weeks in the dining hall, I was like 138 of pure goo. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, obviously you had the frame for it, so... I mean, you know, and ended up working out right. So, all right. So you go to Syracuse. Do you, do you wrestle? Do you wrestle a redshirt your first year? I wrestled. Okay, and because you were able to get big enough right away, and oh. and for those that you know, so you know, you're a four-time All-American, and you end up being a two-time national champion. And I know there's overlap here with your international career, but I kind of want to just focus on. The collegiate side, you know, some of the, you know, tell me some of the, about some of the great matches you wrestle. Like, I know you wrestle guys like Joe Gonzalez. Who are some of the other guys you wrestled just during those collegiate years that, that names would pop out to people? Um, let's see, uh, I don't know. Let's see, I know in the, uh, East West All-Star meet, I wrestled that Randy Wallingham, who was on that. U.S. Open and the Pan American Games. Right, Oklahoma State. State. Right, yeah. And um, he scored the first two points and the last two points. And if I didn't score the 25 in between, I would have lost. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was real close, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. I, I know uh, my senior year, I had to wrestle another guy who was uh, an Olympian, but he was in Greco, though, um, up a weight. And then, uh, Frank Pandiano. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I got to wrestle him. And at the time, that coach made me a little upset. So I told him I wasn't going to pin him. So I beat him like 36 nothing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I wrestle a lot of good guys, but I kind of felt bad that my senior year, I wrestled, uh, that Mark Trezino. Yeah. And Mark Cazino had beaten uh, Olympian Tim Zazeski that year. He beat Olympian Randy, Olympic champ Randy Lewis that year. He um, and he was on the tear. Uh-huh. And then um, I know he wanted to wrestle me, and I was 118, and I wanted to wrestle him. So I was trying to talk Coach Carlin at Syracuse into letting me go up to 134 to wrestle him when we wrestled Iowa, and he wouldn't let me. 
And uh, I said, well, what can we do? You know, talk to Dan Gable and see if we can work something out. Maybe give a five-pound lightweight allowance so he can go down to 31 or something. But I wanted to wrestle. Right. So they set it up and they did a five-pound weight allowance. And he took me down right away. And the score was 2 nothing, And when I was all said and done, I think it was 26-3. Jeez. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I wrestled a lot of good guys. I mean, I wrestled, uh, well, and then that guy who won the Nationals at 126 that year. I think I wrestled him at the Great Plains and beat him 27 to 2. And then I ended up cutting down to 18 for the team. So. Yeah, I have here your record was 144, 5 and 1, and, um, with 107 pins. And so it, it sounds like, you know, you obviously just took what worked for you and obviously elevated it to, to continue to work against the level of competition you had there. I mean, did you have ever have any doubts that just, you know, being heavy on these guys' heads, you know, the mountain climber analogy, you know, the pressure on the neck, did you ever, ever struggle in college where you thought, well, maybe this won't work or was it a pretty easy transition for you? It was a pretty easy transition because I felt like when I was wrestling, that was that was my uh, my safety note, my safety net, my safety zone. So if I ever got uncomfortable wrestling these guys that were so much bigger and stronger, I just had to get on top, get me on top, get me on the head for a while. Okay, and maybe they're too strong to turn at the beginning, but I seemed to get uh, pretty lucky in being able to wear them out and turn them. But I think I also, when I got on somebody's head, I felt like that I got my weight and pressure up forward enough where I was really making a commitment where most people don't. They're kind of afraid. What if this? What if that? And me, I didn't give a crap about the what if because I I wanted to turn them. Yeah. You're right. A lot of people get, I mean, I think one of the things that jumps out to me talking to you is that you know, most wrestlers have a position or two or a situation or two where they're, you know, they're confident. You know, like maybe somebody likes an underhook to the left side or, you know, somebody gets into a tilt position, they know they're good or they know they can hit their stand up on almost everybody. You know, for you, it was an entire position. It was just being on top, which you get at least one shot at that, you know, for sure, because of your choice. And a lot of times, you know, guys, if they don't know any better, I'm sure they figure this out pretty quick. But a lot of guys get typically picked down. So and if you get a takedown, you obviously have another chance on top. And it, it seems like it's it's interesting. It, your confidence level in that position is is so uh, apparent that if it, it seems like it probably allowed you to do some things on your feet and even on bottom where you could even be more dangerous because you're like, well, I'm eventually going to get on top, so even if this doesn't work, I'm going to be okay. Well, here was the huge thing that helped me. Back then, my first three years, it was eight-minute matches, so it was 2 3 three. Yeah. Three, two, two. Right. So, and so you figure 2 three, three, second and third period, you had a choice of top or bottom. The other guy got it the following period. You didn't have a choice of neutral. That's right. Yeah. So somebody was stuck underneath me for three minutes. So my whole thought process, when I got on top of somebody, when it was my turn to get on top, I'd be giggling inside. I'd be like, <laughs> good luck to you, my friend. <laughs> How do you... and it's a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and if I had somebody really, really good and I had my choice of top or bottom second period, I would always take top so I could wear the living crap out of them. And then third period, if they survived second period, they would be dead because think about doing a three-minute mountain climb with somebody freaking trying to drive 200-plus pounds with their legs and hips over you. It just wears the living crap out of you. Now. It's a different story. You know, you can see it's, you, they have a choice to go on your feet. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, that, that so, was going to be my question. Like, how do you think, you know, going from two three three to three two two, and the ability to defer, and you know, the you know, your choice not affecting my choice, and me having the ability to pick neutral. How do you think you would have had to strategize differently with today's rules? Um. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I would probably, if I. I, I I really really don't know. I think it would have been different, you know, opponent to opponent. Um, whether I'd be like, wow, uh, I de- if I had the opportunity to defer, I'd probably defer, and then third period take top, and try and just wear them out as much as I could. Second period, yeah. But back then, I, honestly, I don't think anybody was in the condition I was. I I really, I, I was kind of a madman conditioning wise. Were you doing different conditioning, you know, drills or or exercises to get your VO2 so much higher than everyone else's? Or do you think you were just born with a maybe a little bit higher lung capacity? Or what do you attribute that to? I think a combination of both. I, I had a strong mind. I did have uh, – I felt like I had really good hips. Like, so, like, if somebody picked my leg up and, you know, swept my – my other leg out and I landed on my butt, I felt like I had the ability to like jump out like a cat and get my other leg away from the person. Um, and I just think that that wore a lot of people out also, you know, because they would stroke, they would expend so much energy in order to get a takedown. And I would expend a lot less trying to stop them. And then even if they did get it, I was really good at, on, at I was really comfortable and good on bottom. And most people, if they were smart, would let me go. And if they didn't let me go, well, they were going to get reversed to their back. So I can't count how many times, even in freestyle, I can't count how many times coaches would yell, do not try to turn him, do not try to turn him, do not try to. And they're the guys who would be pinned, you know, but they were trying to turn me. You were um, pinning guys from the bottom. Yeah. Even in freestyle. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I guess I should ask what what were you what were your techniques or strategies you were doing to be able to accomplish that? I I just I would use other people's uh momentum and strengths in the same direction and try to have like pivotal points. Um like let's say somebody was going to gut wrench me, uh-huh. I would I would uh let them load me up in the lap. I would my heel to my butt and when I would get halfway over I would swivel my hips over and end up on top and pinning them um, other times when guys would try to gut wrench me I would like I'll take my heel to my butt and I would use my shin to open up their legs so instead of being on their side all of a sudden I'd take their top leg and press it down with my Shin, and now they'd be like lay, literally laying on their back, and then I could slip my right heel in and have, end up in double grapevine and pinning them. Um, or if it was too late to stop them, I would literally jump over and help them and end in a headlock. Um, so it, there were pivotal points of where I would make decisions halfway through the move. Okay, he's going to give me this. Oh, he's not going to give me that. Oh, shit, this is really tight. I better go with this as fast as I can and make sure I land at a 90-degree angle instead of next to him so he can recover on top. So, you know, and I believe it was all from just, uh, you know, being on a mat so much and understanding what you could and couldn't do and then having the confidence to, you know, attempt it. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting. You still can graphically, you know, step-by-step describe those techniques which, you know, obviously means you, you sunk a lot of time and effort and strategy into that. So, um, it, it's, it's interesting picking the brain of a guy like you. Um, I, I want to jump to 1980. So you're still a collegiate wrestler, but you also that year, and I just kind of want to lay this out for people. You were, you won the world cup and you were the outstanding wrestler of that tournament. You won Tbilisi and had no black marks first time ever. You pinned the Olympic gold, silver, and bronze medalist in that tournament. And people that you, that you, not, not all in that, not in that tournament, between the World Super Championships in Japan and the, the, the Tbilisi tournament, I pinned the, 
actually top four guys. Okay. And for, for people that don't understand, Tbilisi, it, we've had less Americans win Tbilisi than win Olympic gold medals. And, it, I mean, you know, I've, I've heard stories, you know it better than me, but I've heard stories like, you know, they just keep rolling Russians out at you back then. You know, they oh rise out of the stands and create, and I want to get into that. So l- let's start there. What was it like to wrestle in Tbilisi? Are the stories true? And, and how amazing was that to win that tournament? Well, um, we had, I think we brought 20 Americans over to that Tbilisi tournament in 1980. And there were only three of us with winning records. And um, in the tournament, two guys. No, and yeah, on, and actually on the whole tour. Okay. And on on that actual tour, um, I mean, I went nine and zero with no bad marks, bad marks, but um, the next best record was five and four. And um, I mean, it was. I mean, everybody else had losing records. We had national champs that were 0 and 7 on that tour. We we had, uh, I know at one point we had two Olympic champs that went 0 and 7 and got pinned all seven matches. Um, that was not on the 80, not on the 80 tour, but I mean that was another year. And it was just the thing back then is one person at the World or Olympics would represent the USSR. That meant all those Russian communist bloc countries. Right, which now there's, it's all broken up, correct? Yeah. But back then, you had all their national champs, sometimes their second or third place guys, from every single one of those, and they were freaking good. You know? Sure. Like taking a example, that would be like saying um, at the Olympics, you could have uh, Burroughs, Dake, and David Taylor all in the same weight class. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if they broke up the USA into the East, the West, and the Midwest or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Not even. But if you have an international tournament and USA gets three entries and they're the best three guys in the world. Sure. You know, these other countries, wow, they're going to go 0-3. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it was really a sight to see. But I think I, I had a little different motivation, I think, at that point in time in my life. And back then, we were training to go to Tbilisi, and we were told that was the hardest tournament in the world, and we only had four Americans ever win it in 22 years. Right. And that was also uh, the month before we went, the, I don't know if you saw that movie Argo. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Iranians were taking over uh, the U.S. Embassy over in Tehran. We were going to, Tbilisi is only like 125 miles from the Iranian border. And everybody in that area considered considered them Muslim, themselves Muslim followers of Ayatollah Khomeini back then, more so than they did their own communist country. And they, I don't know, it, it, was, it was a rough time. But not only that, the Russians were taking over Afghanistan. And we were at the training camp in Lincoln, Nebraska, when President Carter announced that he would he prefers that no American citizens go to the Soviet Union and go to, or go to the Olympics, and that we might boycott. And it wasn't official yet, but he had made that announcement, and the Russians knew about it already. So I started thinking about it. There was another movie that came out called Midnight Express um, about a guy getting, you know, trying to smuggle stuff out of Turkey, and he got held hostage and tortured. I started thinking about all these things. We're going to be 125 miles from the Iranian border. I don't want to be held hostage like people in the U.S. Embassy. The Russians are killing people in Afghanistan because they were trying to take over Afghanistan. You know, I didn't want to be held hostage. I didn't want to get killed. So I, at training camp, I remember calling home, talking to my mother and my father. And I, you know, talking to them and told them I didn't really want to go. I didn't want to be held hostage or killed. And they didn't want me to my high school coach and my college coach, and they said the same thing, don't go. So I sat down with our co- head coach at the time, Stan Desick, and I said, Stan, I don't know. I don't want to go. I don't want to be held hostage. I don't want to get killed. And he started, first he started yelling and screaming at me, which is not like Stan. Right. He's, He's a pretty laid mild man of guy. But then he had, literally had tears in his eyes. He said, Gene, you don't understand. I've been there seven times, and I know it's going to be safe, and We've only had four Americans ever win this in 22 years, and I know that you could kill those commies. And when he said that, 
a light switch just went on. I'm like, kill the commies. I'm freaking in. And that was it. So, that sounds like I a scene there, out of Rocky. <laughs> oh my God. It was insane. So I, I remember I trained like a freaking madman. We get over there and some little ugly guy with a scruffy beard comes up to me and smacks me in the chest at weigh-ins. And he's like, Usa. I'm like, what? He's like, Usa. I'm like, oh, USA, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, that must be USA, yeah, I'm from USA, how you doing? I tried to shake the guy's hand, he was being a real jerk. And then a little while later, I come to find out that, you know, the guy was Iranian, you know, and they had a lot of animosity at the time because of what was going on. And basically, you know, I flew over there to kill the commies. I wasn't, you know, there for them at the time. And then after that happened, you know, they go out there to opening ceremonies, and the Iranians had this huge wooden frame picture of Ayatollah Khamenei, their president at the time, saying, "Ha ha, America, we've got your hostages." Oh my gosh! So now I kind of, kind of lost it a little bit, and I wanted to get my hands on one of those guys too. And certainly, or sure enough, first round, who do I get? I get the Iranian that smacked me in the chest, <laughs> and so uh, start the match out as like five to five, and. Next thing you know, I got him on his back, and the guy, you know, tried to gouge my eyes out, and he grabs me by my uh, my boys, which had never happened in my 40 years of wrestling. Yeah. Um, but the guy grabbed me by my boys, and then I lost it, and I went bananas on the guy. And next thing I know, it scores like 27 to 5. I got him on his back. I'm squeezing, and the guy's trying to bite me in the face. So I grabbed a hold of his hair, and I started biting out his beard. I literally bit to his skin. I didn't bite him. I bit to his skin, started ripping his beard out. And every time I would bite and rip his beard out, he would scream. The Iranian team was on the side of the mat yelling and screaming. The USA team was on the other side going, hey. you know, the Iranians were like, hey, hey, hey. You know, like, Where, where's the referee in all this with the uh, with the groin grabbing he, and the eye gouging and, and the, the beard biting? What were the referees he, doing in all this? And actually, when the Iranians came out, I didn't realize it was the same official that when the Iranians came out with that uh, wooden frame picture of Ayatollah Khomeini, he was, he tapped me on the side and he's like, Niels, I'm like, what? He goes, we should blow these suckers off the map. And I was, I didn't know who he was, had no idea, but I was like, yeah, I'm hip. But, and then that was my referee. And I didn't figure it out until halfway through the match. And so when I've got him on his back, I start biting out of his beard, and he starts screaming every time I bite it out. And I, every time I would spit it back in his face, I'd rip another one out. The Iranians were going nuts. The Americans were going crazy, like, yay, yay, yay. It was freaking awesome. And, and uh, yeah, he had a big patch of his beard missing when, uh, when we got done. So, before I, but that's that just round one. First. That's round one of the tournament. So Yeah. And then after I did that to him, I got up. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe who is freaking next. Who is next? Throw me them commies next. So I was kind of like on a psycho mission at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was so much fun. But I, I was I was like in my own little war zone world. And I wanted to literally kill everybody. So, <clears throat> I, I I don't even know how to ask this question, but I mean I I think the answer is really obvious. But you know you obviously made the Olympic team in '80, and and the country boy we boycotted. Can you even put in words how disappointing that was? I honestly I cried like a freaking baby for weeks. Yeah, but Stan Desik said, Gene. Keep training because if we have to leave the country two weeks earlier and go train in Germany and fly to Moscow from there, they won't be able to stop us to keep training. And I, I mean, I thought Stan was a phenomenal coach, still do, um, and I believed in him. And it was a couple weeks before the, the Olympics when he called me and he said, Gene, I know you don't want to hear this, but we have to support President Carter. We have to. And you have to go to the White House. I'm like, I don't want to go. If I yeah. go down there, um, yeah, I can't repeat. You know, no, you, you have bad thoughts in your head, obviously. Yeah. Very. So. And, you know, if you say that now, you get arrested and you get put in prison for life. But, yeah, that's how I felt. I was really 
I don't know. It meant it meant everything in the world to me. What I was training for. Yeah. And I was I, w- I was training anywhere from six to ten hours a day. There were a lot of times I trained ten hours a day, but I I was on a mission. I was on a freaking mission. Yeah. So you come back in '81 and win the NCAA tournament. I mean, is that you know I I just had John Smith on last week and he talked about how. We were talking about Kyle Snyder and Jaden Cox and how, you know, they won Olympic medals and had to come back to college and how he had won, you know, a world medal and came back to college. Obviously, it's a different scenario. You didn't get to wrestle in the Olympics, but you wrestled in Tbilisi. You had done all these other things. Was it hard to keep your focus that year? Was, you know, did you feel like there was a drop off or how did you deal with that? Um, I, I don't know. I didn't think it was really fair for my opponent. Um, That's an interesting perspective. And, 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 and well, not so much, the, and, and, and not so much, you know, like, I mean, I think it's great that, you know, college kids have an opportunity to wrestle Jaden Cox and Kyle Snyder and try to beat them. But back then, I don't know, I just felt like I was on such a, crazy different level than everybody I didn't know how really fair it was at all and my I felt like my toughest opponent my senior year by far was uh, Joe Scale from Toledo okay Toledo Scale oh okay <laughs> and okay <laughs> but I, I, I don't know but then um I remember getting a call. That's, I got to I got to explain to the young people who are listening that Toledo because they don't they've never been on a Toledo scale. Those are the big ones with the gigantic dial, and it would you know it almost <laughs> waver when you would breathe, and you know you could hold your breath or think light and all those things. So yeah, <laughs> we have a lot of young people who listen to the show, and you actually snuck it by me, so I got to make sure that that yeah. people understand that. So you were cutting a lot of weight your senior year. Yes. Why yeah, did you cut? Good. I mean, you're you're an Olympic level athlete. Why didn't you just go up a weight class? Um, because my uh, my coach said I was the only guy who can make 118 on our team, so I did it for the team. Who did you beat yeah, in the finals that year of nationals? Uh, I don't remember. Some guy from Michigan, Central Michigan. Okay. Uh, uh John. Oh, Hardipe, Hardupe, Hardupe. Yeah. Okay. So your senior year, you know, it sounds like, I, I mean, Coach Smith said the same thing, that it's hard to get motivated, that, you know, you, it's not a level of arrogance, it's really a level of fact that you're, you know, you're training for, you know, like you know, he was saying, like the Russian, the Cuban, you know, same kind of thing you are, you know, you're, you're training for these guys and, you know, you just got done within a year ago of spitting people's beards out and, you know, winning Tbilisi <laughs> and almost causing an international incident. And, you know, to come back and, you know, wrestle in a, in a, you know, college gym and a dual meet in November, December had to be, you know, kind of a letdown. I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, for a lot of guys winning a national title is, you know, the pinnacle and it, it's a great goal. I mean, you know, a lot of us haven't done that, but, you know, when somebody's got to your level, it's almost like an afterthought. So it's, I, I had other motivation. Okay. For the fact that the NCAAs were going to be in my home state, where I won my high school, uh, my high school state championship, it was at Prince, it was at Jadwin Gym in Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. And I knew everybody from Jersey could be there to watch me do it. Okay. And then my other motivation was uh, Ron Good from Amateur Wrestling News had called me, and he, said, Gene, I'm looking at your schedule right now. You have the opportunity. You have 26 matches left in your high school or your college career. Okay. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was 21 days. So basically, if I pin 19 out of 20 or 25 out of 26, I forget, whatever it was at the end, at the time, he said, if you pin everybody, but we, you, I can let one guy go. <laughs> but if I pin everybody the rest of the way out through the NCAA finals, I could break the NCAA pin record. So I pinned everybody up until the, the semifinals. And then, on the uh, scoreboard, I said 32 to 4, and then on the sheet, they wrote 30 to 4, and then on the freaking bracket, they wrote 28 to 4. And so I didn't get to pin the semi, so I had to pin the guy in the finals in order to 
at 107. Yeah, that's an amazing number. And I mean, I mean, and I think the other thing, I mean, you know, you had 150 matches that have been obviously over two thirds of those guys is just crazy. I mean, it's so hard to beat guys in college and I mean, much less just roll through and pin guys. So, well, you, yeah, I, I talked to a couple of friends of mine and, and they passed your number on to me and, and they just, you know, they think the world of you, and, and I do now, just in the short time I've talked to you. Tell me, what are you doing these days? I know you're still involved in wrestling. You know, tell me, tell folks a little bit about your camp and all those kind of things you're doing. Well, I'm a, a high school phys ed teacher, and I'm a golf and wrestling coach. Um, and I, I love both. I have, uh, I own a wrestling MMA gym, my assistant coach, um, where we offer everything for, you know, from wrestling to all kinds of MMA stuff. Okay. Um, and then I have my wrestling camps, and I do clinics all over the country still. And my, my camps are in Pennsylvania at the old uh, U.S. Olympic Training Center for Wrestling before they built Colorado Springs. It was the Rest Helps Wrestling Camp in Pennsylvania. And it's so awesome. Um, I actually go there this Sunday, and I have uh, six camps within a 12-day period. Two five day camps, two eight day camps, a four day and a twelve day, um, and I just love teaching the sport. I think my favorite thing on us just about is, uh, you know, teaching kids and coaches. I love teaching coaches because I think I I blow their minds uh, more so than the, the kids just because the, how easy I make it look. Well, sure, and I think you know when you're a kid that. They... I mean, like my dad was a great college coach and I didn't even really realize that most of the time growing up, he was just the guy I came home to. And I think yeah. as an adult, you know, you, your mind is sort of closed. Like, okay, I kind of understand the sport this way and this is what it is. And, you know, I'll, I'll take a new thing or two, but when somebody really looks at it from a revolutionary point of view, it's, it's a shock to your system. I want to give the folks a little bit. I, I pulled some stuff off here. You can correct me if anything's wrong, but I think I, it's correct. It's from your site. The, the, you have a hunt, the camp is 107 acres with 17 acres of a fully stocked lake for fishing and boating. The wrestlers are housed in cabins located near all the facilities, including the pool, dining hall, recreation hall, and weight pavilion, as well as the three wrestling pavilions with two to three full mats on each. The camp was, as you said, originally Russ Houck's wrestling camp and was the home of USA and Olympic team training camps. It's the, and you've done this for over, it says the camp started in 1962 and was the Olympic and Pan Am camp from 64 to 73. And just some of the people that have rolled through there are names, the legend of the sport, um, Dan Gable, Chris Taylor, Rick Sanders, John and Ben Peterson, Dan Dizik, Wade Chalice, Gray Simons, Don Beam, Wayne Wells, and, and many more. So. If, if, I'm sure it's probably too late to, well, maybe it isn't. If people want to get into your camp either this time or next time, what's the best way for them to reach you? They, uh, can go to genemills.com and go to wrestling camp and fill out a camp application. Uh, our contact information is there also. So they can, um, contact us. I know I always go down on, like I go down this Saturday and my wife comes down Sunday, does the registration, goes back on Monday or Tuesday to get all the rest of the registrations for the following week and then comes back down and does registration again. So uh, there's still the opportunity for people to still get involved and come learn and have fun. And I think a lot of the people who have been there, I'm sure they, uh, it seems like they always tell me they want their kids to have that same experience. So it's a phenomenal opportunity for them to uh, have a lifelong memory as well as learn some great stuff and have a great time. It really sounds like it. And one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is what do you think of like the state of wrestling today, like in America, in terms of the collegiate scene and our international teams? Like, you know, what are your opinions on, on where we are as a country? I wish I wish I had the time to uh, help them more because I, I, um, I mean, we have some phenomenal athletes, and uh, I I think that there's some, you know, some things we could do to possibly uh, 
up their techniques. You know, everybody's got a little different stuff, and some people have some great stuff and great decisions. And, um, you know, I, I think just being involved, at, you know, wrestling for 45 years, 44 years, whatever it is, um, I, I've been all over the world, so I've gotten to see a lot of different techniques that could help even the best of our uh, athletes. And I, I just wish I had more time where I could, and the, and the financial resources so I could go out there and help them. But we, I don't know, I just, I, I feel like we could be a little better. And we have some great guys, and I think they could be even greater. That's all. Um, as far as the status of uh, the sport, you know, our sport throughout the country, I think that the people that do get involved and really commit themselves, um, I think that's awesome. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of parents that actually push their kids too hard, obviously, and we end up losing that. And we probably lost a lot of possible Olympic champs that could have been good if they weren't pushed so hard by their parents. And on the other hand, we have the video gamers that, you know, I think has uh, kind of ruined a lot of athletes that we could have had um, because they weren't pushed to even try because a lot of parents are so busy that they could have an hour of peace while their kids are playing video games and they get hooked on them. We kind of lose them totally as athletes. So we do lose a lot of high school athletes because they are enabled not to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and your perspective is really interesting from, you know, it's, it's like the two extremes, right? The video gamers that never get into it that could have been great, and then the people with the crazy parents that could have been great if, if people just eased off the gas pedal a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and you're a guy that's seen it all, literally. I mean, I, I will not forget the Iranian beard biting story for probably as long as I live. So, uh, <laughs> I really well, I, I, um, I did, I did get a report like six months later that it did grow back. <laughs> <laughs> so no permanent damage. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that makes you happy or unhappy, honestly, based on the story. Maybe you, maybe you wish it had been, there had been some damage. So yeah. <laughs> Just the mental anguish and scars, mental scars. <laughs> uh, well, Gene, I, I just can't thank you enough for the time today. This has just been awesome. Um, I think, you know, I think you're just one of the guys that when, you know, when people think about top wrestlers, you're, you're in that very, very short list of the greatest of all time. And I just can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the great Gene Mills. This is David Maricatani with Matt Chat. I'll speak to you all next week. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.